let's dive on in. Dr. Shao, thank you so much for joining us today. We are very excited to speak with you. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Of course. So let's dive into the first question, which is really, how do you think the CMI role has evolved over the past five years, and where do you see it heading in the future? That's a great question. Uh, we could probably spend a couple hours talking about that. Um, but I, I think in, you know, the CMI role has really evolved quite a bit, uh, even before COVID, uh, to where you know, traditionally it was a physician champion, help get the EMR uh, or the EHR for a more you know, enterprise type of solution in, uh, to really where now it's a, it's a physician leader who really understands both you know, the informatics, information technology uh, aspects, as well as the medical and healthcare uh, side. It can really you know, act as a bridge, not just a bridge, uh, but I think a catalyst uh, for those two. And, and now I think you know, with, with COVID, um, it's been a, you know, a huge you know, accelerant uh, to that transition where uh, the, the data, the information, what the EHR can do to uh, be, you know, help patients at the bedside, to collect that data, to help our you know, epidemiologists, our researchers, uh, you know, uh, make better choices and, and figure out where to deploy resources. Uh, it's, it's really been, uh, you know, a huge, uh, you know, uh, shift and catalyst to that. So um, I see, you know, that change where it's become more from a champion, uh, you know, help at the elbow to really becoming a, a pretty senior uh, physician leader uh, who, uh, is, is really being looked to, I think, for, for you know, strategic information and, and advice. So with that context in mind about what a CMIO looks like now, what would you say are two or three of the biggest healthcare trends going on right now that really affect a CMIO's decision-making in that role? Great question. Um, I think one of them undoubtedly has got to be, you know, the, 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 the focus now on how do we take all of that healthcare data we've been collecting in the EHR and make that information. Uh, so, um, you know, uh, that might be things like, you know, how do we create algorithms to detect sepsis earlier? Uh, something I think uh, Haas has been trying to do for, for a while now with, with some success uh, to now taking one step further and being a little bit more sophisticated. Can we pick up, uh, you know, uh, trends in the you know, ED volume or the inpatient volume and uh, be able to predict when um, we are going to have more patients and, and be able to staff up for it perhaps. Uh, or perhaps, you know, look at um, some of the data out there and be able to detect um, we have, uh, you know, uh, potential surge in flu cases, uh, certainly uh, as an example. But, um, you know, something obviously very much in all of our minds in the past, you know, uh, this you know, past four or five months has been COVID and being able to collect all that data presented in real time so that our uh, supply chain folks, our, our hospital administrators, those who are in charge of all the beds and ventilators, our intensive care uh, and, and uh, other clinical leaders can figure out where to deploy resources, physicians, nurses, respiratory therapists, ventilators, uh, where we need to uh, be thinking about um, what medications, you know, actually work well and which ones don't. I and mean, even our, ourselves doing some basic statistical analysis on the fly uh, so that we could try to figure out what the best therapeutic uh, agents were. And for us, for instance, we had a big focus on whether we should be anticoagulating our patients uh, aggressively uh, early on uh, and looking at patients that we did do that and didn't do that. Uh, things that 
we traditionally probably would have spent, you know, years, uh, you know, conducting research on where we're now, you know, looking at the data in, in near real time and, and making decisions to then further certain therapies or, or to not, uh, per, you know, pursue other, other things because it's such a novel, you know, new disease that we don't know about, a lot about, but affecting a large number of our, our patients uh, locally and around the country. So, um, you know, I think the use of data is, is really, um, you know, uh, was already a huge uh, priority, uh, and even more so now uh, in, in light of you know recent you know events and, and stressors on the system. Um, you know I think uh, for for you know uh, myself uh, very much along those lines, and, and I think uh, you know CMIOs at many other institutions bridging the gap, uh, or not bridging the, not a gap quite say, but but you know what's what's clinical versus what is research uh, has also been very much a blur. Uh, and I think other CMIOs like myself are now also find ourselves sort of putting the hat on a little bit of the of the CRIO, Chief Research Information Officer, uh, for institutions that don't have one or may look to the CMIO to, to do, perform both roles. Uh, and that's understanding how technology, how data, how information can be helping to influence and equipping investigators uh, for uh, all their research projects and taking that clinical information that's collected at, in the EHR and then translating that into, into research knowledge. Um, and so that's been, a, I think, a, a, a big change or shift over the last five years uh, you know, or so. And then for CMIOs who do have a CRIO at their institution, I think it's just partnering together with them closely because um, as we all you know, now with meaningful use and everything move towards enterprise-wide uh, electronic health record systems um, and our patients are living in the patient portals and our clinicians are living in the EHR, uh, then it makes a lot more sense to use those tools uh, to also reach out to our patients to uh, in, you know, enroll them in research, uh, invite them to in, enroll in research, uh, as well as to uh, collect the information that's needed both for clinical uh, and, and research. And I think as you see with you know, COVID-19 you know, the last several months, you know, that it's a whole blur now between what is research and what is clinical care, which is, you know, I think something we've been thinking, you know, for the past few years at Yale. So as you mentioned, the pandemic has really highlighted or driven that need for data to aid in decision making. I'm curious, has the pandemic changed your IT strategy in any other ways? Um, I don't know if it's changed it, but I think it's um, added even more fuel to the fire, if you will, that in technology you need to be really nimble. Um, uh, you know, uh, my CIO, Lisa Stump, has always uh, been a proponent about how much technology uh, can and should be driving how we deliver care. And, you know, that we have, uh, you know, great tools, you know, such as telemedicine, where you can have a video visit with a patient uh, from the palm of your hand, uh, a phrase that she loves to use, uh, and I think is a very powerful one. Um, but before COVID, frankly, um, you know, we, we probably conducted 30, uh, you know, maybe 40 video visits a week. Uh, and, you know, a few weeks into, into March, uh, we were hitting 4,000 visits a day uh, because suddenly now, you know, everyone was open to this new technology, both patients and physicians, uh, because frankly, there's hesitation on both sides. Um, but, you know, when, when people are, you know, motivated and but still need to get their health care and, and, you know, with, with obviously the very helpful uh, changes uh, in the rules from, you know, CMS and the payers to support it. Um, you know, all that we had all the ducks lined in a row 
uh, to then be able to deliver, uh, you know, uh, that technology that we, we knew we had uh, and, and we're trying to, but wasn't getting, weren't getting a lot of uptick on. Um, and so, you know, for us, you know, the nimble part then meant we had to scale up very, very quickly uh, to support telemedicine, you know, not just, you know, ambulatory uh, to our, you know, ambulatory doctors to the, to the patients who are at home, but also even within the hospital. Uh, and for us, that meant uh, literally uh, our own team is building, I think, about five or 600 carts, uh, telemedicine carts. Um, and uh, we, we had, you know, our IT team uh, in a warehouse and we we're bringing our own, you know, power drills from home and we we're bringing, assembling carts together from all the parts we could, we could source. Uh, that way we could keep our patients, uh, you know, connected to the physicians uh, as much as possible. Uh, so the physician could be at a different hospital consulting on an you know, admitted COVID patient uh, in the ICU, for instance, uh, could be very sick and need that really timely uh, consultation uh, to uh, helping preserve uh, PPE, which as you know, is, uh, is still scarce around the country. Um, and so enabling that contact to occur where the physician or the nurse or others are out, can still be outside the room without having to don and, and, and everything, all that PPE um, and interact with the patient. Uh, and then go, of course, go in person when, when, when necessary, um, but otherwise have a quicker you know, connection with the patient uh, and a safer one for, for the clinicians. Is your team at a point yet where you are starting to think about how you may support that continued growth in virtual care or telemedicine once the pandemic ends? Very much so. Uh, so I think for us, and, and I imagine, you know, most of my colleagues around the country, you know, we, we believe, you know, telemedicine is here to stay. Um, it's now, you know, hopefully to most, you know, just medicine is another tool. Um, and yes, obviously, you know, it, it can't completely take the place of in-person visits, nor should it. Um, you know, there are times where it's very important to examine the patient, to listen to the heart murmur, to, you know, check for this or that. Um, but other, but also at the, other, at the other end of the spectrum, many times you don't need all that. Um, and so for us, you know, we, we, you know, we had, we did a lot of, you know, begging, borrowing, stealing from our own internal IT teams. Um, you know, folks from, you know, different areas of IT were coming together, as I mentioned, to help, you know, build carts, but also to help support the telemedicine team as, provide support, um, but we, you know, definitely need to grow the size of that team formally. Um, and so that's something that, you know, we're trying to do uh, in this financially challenging time, um, but uh, because it's the right thing to do and because, you know, we need to make sure we support our patients. Um, we're also looking to, you know, technologies like chatbots to also help fill a little bit uh, some of that, uh, you know, uh, patient-centered uh, uh, need for support. Um, but also, uh, you know, look, need to earn, and are growing that team as well uh, under our, you know, um, our, our senior leadership in, in, in IT. So we have a whole telehealth team that is probably going to triple in size, I imagine, uh, you know, before too long, uh, because our number of visits, uh, you know, has mushroomed, uh, as I shared earlier. I want to switch gears just a little bit and talk about gaining buy-in for digital transformation. How do you get your team into that innovation mindset or get them on board with any digital transformation efforts? So you mean like our internal IT team, how to get them on board? I would say, yeah, either your internal IT team or even expanding it broader to clinicians or other team members at the hospital. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think, I think what you know, you're sort of alluding to is that, you know, a lot of this is culture change. Um, and 
um, I think you know some some great ways we we you know we 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 try to do this um, uh, are simple things like patient stories um, and giving examples to you know both our own team as well as our leadership as well as our frontline clinicians um, how you know technology or how changing the way we do things can improve care for patients uh, in a very simple way that you know our patient stories uh, and so for instance you know. Um, even early on as we were, uh, you know, adopting telemedicine, uh, you know, in, in the face of COVID, um, being able to share how um, some of our, you know, early brave doctors who were using this technology were coming back to us with these great stories of how they actually thought they had a better visit than an in-person one uh, with the patient. Uh, so an example uh, is, you know, a cardiologist who uh, was able to, uh, you know, have a video visit with a patient who was in an assisted care living uh, facility. And that patient now no longer had to hop in the car uh, and drive all the way out uh, and risking exposure uh, to, to COVID-19, but in fact couldn't drive because, you know, the patient actually doesn't ambulate that well. So typically uh, would have re relied on his son to pick him up. Uh, but now his son actually couldn't even go to the assisted care living facility because of COVID-19. Um, but his son was able to join with the assisted living care facilities nurse uh, with the patient uh, on a video visit. Um, and, and then the cardiologist was then able to actually chat with the nurse and find out from the nurse what was the actual medications the patient was actually receiving, not what the cardiologist thought was being you know, prescribed or given. The nurse was able to ask questions, uh, whereas in a traditional in-person visit, uh, not only would they be a lot more hassle and transportation back and forth, but the nurse won't even be part of that. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's, it's different care, uh, not necessarily better, not necessarily worse, but it can be better. And in this case, you know, that was a good story that we could share with people real, realize that it was better. Um, and then certainly for our own team that we're working, you know, seven days a week, 16 plus hours a day, 18 plus hours a day, putting together parts and trying to source things and, and things like that. Um, being able to share stories about how you know, uh, you know the, the video equipment that we, we obtained uh, and set up in the room enabled, you know, uh, a patient to be able to see their, their loved ones and say goodbye because, you know, they were at end of life, unfortunately, you know, due to the, you know, the, the, the ravages of COVID-19. Um, those were incredibly powerful stories that really, um, you know, spoke to everybody and really, I think, you know, not only helped encourage them to keep going, uh, you, you know, even though everyone was tired, but also I think start to kind of plant those seeds of, of, you know, what we do really makes a difference and we are really affecting change and we're dramatically impacting care uh, just, you know, in, in many ways, just as much as the doctors and the nurses in the front lines are uh, because, you know, the technology that they helped bring to the bedside uh, was really, you know, really making a, a lasting difference for that patient and, and, and their families. Um, and without that technology, that patient would, you know, have to pass away, you know, alone or would be going on three, four weeks without ever seeing, you know, their, their loved ones, um, even if, the, you know, even if it wasn't such a dire circumstance, um, but be able to lift their spirits, uh, if you will. So, yeah, so I think, you know, uh, that, that's one way we're trying to try to drive this culture change and innovation is, is through patient stories. Yeah, I really think there is a lot of power in storytelling. And I'd imagine hearing anecdotes like that, you know, really makes a 16-hour workday worth it and reminds what you're there for. Very, uh, very much so. Well, Dr. Shaw, our time is quickly running out, but there's one more question I want to ask you. 
which is if you could eliminate one of health, the healthcare industry's biggest technology struggles overnight, what would it be and why? Wow, one of the biggest uh, things to eliminate. You know, it's funny, before, before uh, you know, the past few months, I would have said reimbursement for telemedicine visits. Um, but I think, you know, right now, um, I'm just thinking about the frontline physicians and all their burnout. This may seem like a small, silly thing, um, but um, frequent password expirations uh, would be would be a simple one that would actually really uh, I think help with the adoption of technology and different platforms and um, just make it easier for for clinicians to get their work done. Um, so that's one that you know, I think you know seems like a silly thing, but um, when you have a busy doctor, busy nurse who's overwhelmed trying to get things done, um, seeing you know not being able to get into the system they want or seeing that your password is expired is is just kind of uh, uh, just takes all the wind out of their sails. Um, so that's probably a small one that, that I would say that actually isn't so small. Uh, that'd be great if, uh, if, if we can make that change across the country. Absolutely. Perfect. Well, before we go ahead and end today's session, I just wanted to turn to you, Dr. Shao, one last time. Is there any advice or takeaways about the role of CMIOs today that you would like to share with our audience? Sure. Uh, well, I think, you know, knowing my CMIO colleagues, this is, you know, probably all advice they don't really need, but, you know, it's, it's to stay, stay curious, stay, you know, pushing the, the envelope um, and, you know, keep learning about the new technologies coming uh, very much with that focus of how can it help our patients. Um, and, you know, I think it's, 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 it sounds like a cliche, but it, but it really isn't. Um, is when we think about putting our patients first and what their needs are, uh, everything quickly follows behind that, you know, how it will help our physicians be more efficient, our nurses and other, other clinicians. And, um, you know, it, it just, uh, we, we may, you know, be the ones uniquely positioned to understand how some new technology or a new trend in, in for, you know, informatics or, you know, uh, information technology can really change healthcare. Uh, and I think, you know, telemedicine is a great example of that, you know, um, every CMIO I, I you know, knew and met at different conferences and meetings at Becker's uh, very much understood the potential it had, um, but, you know, things weren't quite aligned yet uh, until, until the last several months. Uh, and now I think, you know, it's uh, vindicated a bit of that, that thinking. And I would say just keep thinking, uh, looking for new, new, new tools and, and things we can bring like telemedicine uh, that will help our patients in the future. Wonderful. Well, that is all the time that we have left for today. Dr. Shaw, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your insights today. And thank you so much. Thank you. Well, thank you. And thank you to our audience for taking some time out of your day to be part of our first ever Becker's Health IT RCM virtual forum. Please be sure to check out our other great sessions during the forum and let us know if you have any questions or comments. Thanks again for joining us and we hope to see you at future Becker's events. Thank you.